Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk today about... uh, healing and health and and repentance and sharing and all kinds of good things that give life and we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that take life away i just sent out an email to our living network that begins with the quote from second timothy 2:15 saying study to show thyself approved unto god a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It goes on to say, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So, we're going to try to avoid the vain babblings and uh, and and rightly divide the word of truth. And one of the things that I pointed out in that email is that this word that we see in that text, study, is not normally translated study. As a matter of fact, of all the times it appears in the Bible, this is the only place they translate it study. Normally it's translated endeavor, or do diligence, or be diligent, or give diligence, or be forward, or even labor. Only once is it translated study. And, of course, it can mean study, but to say study there without investigating the true meaning of the Greek, which is the word that was written in the text of the prophet who wrote it, uh, will do it disservice. Because we see in the text it says, uh, a god, a workman. And so, therefore, the study is important because you want to rightly divide the truth, but you are to be diligent workmen, diligent doers of the Word, not simply uh, intellectual studiers of the Word. And this is this is what we see often going on as people go and take up the Bible and they begin to study and study and study and study, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that studying of the Bible. But it is it is not going to give you the answer simply by studying the Bible. If that were true, then the knowledge of good and evil, plucking fruit from the knowledge the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is the answer and solution to salvation. And of course that's actually where we got into trouble. We actually believed of our own ability that we could divine what was right, what was wrong, what was true, what was false. And we cannot do that. We are not built in that capacity. We are built in the image of God for the purpose of walking with God, of eating of the tree of life, eating of God Himself, to have God write upon our hearts what is right and what is wrong, to guide us in everything that we do. And if you're reading the Bible without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you will be led astray. You will not figure it out. You will not rightly divide the truth. You will not see the many, many layers, the subtle layers of the truth. You will probably be grossly deceived. 
And, of course, the next thing coming out of your mouth as you begin to quote the Bible will be profane because you decided what the Bible said. You privately interpreted it according to the will of your own heart and mind because God was not in you. And that's what we have to guard against because that is very easy trap to fall into. People take up the Bible, which is supposed to be a holy book associated with the holy prophets, and we read it, we memorize it, we study it as if somehow or other their holiness would be imparted to us by our flesh and blood effort to study the Bible. It simply does not. That doesn't mean not to study the Bible, but it means that the key is not your diligent study of the Bible. The key is your honest, diligent study of the Bible. Your, uh, your humble, diligent study of the Bible where you submit to the Lord. And we'll get into why I say that and why Paul actually tells us that in other places when he is prof- uh, professing the Word of God. And if we don't learn that, if we approach this from our own vanity, we're going to learn the Bible. We're going to learn more than other people. Like everybody wants to know Revelations because they want that little edge. Everybody, a lot of people study the Bible to get that edge of knowledge as if you are going to figure it out. You're coming from the point of view of pride. And you do not want to do that because that is not what will give you the true answer and rightly divide the truth. It will not allow God to write in your heart and your mind. The sin of Adam was as much his hiding from the fact that he sinned as it was the sin itself. Sure, he was proud. He was uh, disobedient because the pride led to disobedience. But more than that, when he did wrong, he did not admit it. He hid from that. And as long as he hid from that, there was no repentance. He was sorry he did it, but he was not repentant. He was not turning around. He was not facing the truth. In fact, he could not even look upon God. He had to walk away from God. He had to turn his back on God because to see God would be to honestly see himself. This is where our transgression turns into death, is that we turn away from God. And this is why I say that the the angel in the garden that was put there with a, uh, this fiery sword that shines in every direction is a beacon to bring us back, not to keep us out. But what keeps us out is our pride. We will not face the truth about ourselves. People talk about, oh, I commit this sin, I commit that sin, and they think of the act as the sin. The sin is evidence of the real transgression, which is the fact that you have turned your back on God. That is why you must repent and turn around and face the truth of your own sin. Your sin, not other people's sin, not what they have done wrong to you, but what you have done, your part in that sin, of even drawing those people around you that would bring this evil upon you. People say, oh, I want to get out of the world, out of the world system, out of the beast system. But do they want to repent and see their own failing, their own sin, their own transgression against God by turning their back on God? The sins you commit are the byproduct of that transgression of turning away from God. 
of hiding from God, of hiding from the truth and the way. And so, if we really want to be changed, because we can't change ourselves, if we really want to be changed, we have to turn around and go another way. Otherwise, all our study will become vain babblings. And we will start creating all kinds of hoops and, and loops and and rules and regulations that, oh, you have to keep these days and you have to do it this way and you have to say these words and all these things from outside to give us some sort of sense of self-justification. Well, I'm not like the people in the beast system. I'm separate. I am not a part of the beast system. But have you become a part of the system of Christ, which we call the kingdom of God? Have you become a part of His righteousness? And we're going to explore some of that in the next couple hours to see if we can't figure out exactly what that looks like so we can find out, am I on the path or have I simply gone off in another rabbit trail that will take me not back to the way but to back to the wrong way, which is what I've been going in all, all along. You know, when I speak of rabbit trails, when you when you hunt rabbits and you scare one up, he will run out on the desert and he will circle around and he will come back to where he was. So when your dog chases that rabbit and he's chasing him, you'll see him go on this big long arc because eventually that rabbit will come back to where you're at. You don't want to leave because the dog's going to bring him back here. Because that's the way rabbit trails go. They circle around and they come back on the same path. So that that rabbit will not get lost. He's not as tall as you. He can get lost out there. And as he circles out around, he has to come back or cross his own trail to find his own way back home. Well, if you're on the wrong trail to begin with and you take off on a rabbit trail, you'll just come back to the wrong trail again. And so it's not enough to go off on another rabbit trail from the wrong trail. You have to turn around and go back in the right trail. And the key thing is is that all trails lead to destruction. All trails lead to life. The difference is the direction you're going. You're either going towards hell or you're going towards heaven. You're either going towards unrighteousness or you're going towards righteousness. Simply thinking that you're getting out of the system without turning around will just bring you back to a hell in another place. And so, anyway, with that in mind, we will uh, move forward on the topic of today and see if we can't find the way. Because we should study. We should be diligent to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Have you been given the spirit of love and a sound mind? Has he, or are you just given another mind? You were learned these facts and they were false. Now you've learned these facts over here, but you're still plucking fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Have you turned around? And so anyway, I talk about this in the post about this word is about being diligent. We know that eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is what got us into trouble. 
and that we should only eat of the tree of life. It doesn't mean that we don't have knowledge. It means that knowledge does not have us. It is not our source. It is not what really guides us. It is simply a tool to be used. Whenever you see a word tree mentioned in Hebrew, a tree is what they made everything out of. Wood was a major uh, commodity for creating tools, for uh, building houses, everything. So tool was a, uh, a tree was a source for all these things. So when they talk about the tree of knowledge, they're talking about a source of knowledge. And knowledge is not to be a source. It is simply a tool. The real source is the tree of life, which is the Holy Spirit, which was, this is the way they referred to the Holy Spirit back in the garden, was this tree of life. Paul points to David when he's, when Paul is talking about we are saved by faith. We are saved because we believe and not by works. And this is a, a great quandary in our understanding uh, and a great stumbling block in our understanding of what Paul was really talking about. And we've, we've recently done a study on the Ephesians and also... Uh, uh, actually, I can't remember which one we did. <laughs> uh, Colossians. And... Uh, then we did, we're doing one in the process of doing one on Romans. And we will cover all that in, in the one on Romans in great detail. We've made reference to it in the others. People are taking Paul out of the context of Paul. And they're even taking Paul out of the context of Christ. And they're actually telling me that Paul taught another gospel other than the apostles, other than Christ. And Paul is constantly saying that he's preaching the gospel of Christ. He is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the gospel of Christ and the gospel of God. There's only one gospel. And it is the taking of Paul out of that context. When Paul is saying these things, he's saying them to people who have already repented and turned around and were going this other way. They had already got off the road to hell and had gotten onto the road towards the kingdom of God. And so what he is saying to them is that they have repented already. That's why you don't hear him always saying, repent, repent, like you see with John the Baptist. These are the people who have already turned around and have repented. Many of the Christians reading Paul have not really repented of what John called them to repent from. And we will explain that in those studies. But Paul points to Psalms 32 1 and 11, when he's talking about David. And he's saying, Blessed is he who transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. When I keep silence, my bones wax old through my roaring or groaning, all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My my moisture is turned into a drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Mine iniquities have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. 
This is what Paul means by the those who believeth, those who have admitted their error and turned around and have started going the other way. This is why Christ does not begin with come out of her, my people, but he begins like John the Baptist with repentance. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else would be provided unto you. And that's what we have to understand. The understanding in our minds that we are bound in a system of the wicked may lay a heavy burden of guilt upon our own hearts. Rest assured, everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of the righteousness of God. The sins and transgressions we commit are not the problem. They are the evidence of the problem. The problem is is that we have turned away from God to begin with. The solution, therefore, is to turn back to God. Not an idolatrous God of our own imaginations, but the actual God. The God that we abandoned way back at the beginning. We cannot blame our status or our condition on the woman, the woman you gave me. Neither can the woman blame her status upon the man who was weak. Neither can any of us blame our status on other men who are like Cain and Nimrod and Lamech and Caesar and Pharaoh and uh, whatever the leader is of your country. They are not the problem. They are the evidence of the problem. The problem is, is that we have turned away from God and decided to decide for ourselves. We chose to decide for ourselves what was right and what was wrong. And we see that bubbling up as profane babblings when we start saying, Oh, we need to keep this day. We need to do it this way. We need to have this form. We need to put on these garments. We need to say these words. We need to look like this. And we don't. We need to get down on our hands and knees and say to the Lord, I confess my sins. I have been wicked. What was the wickedness? You decided for yourself what was right and wrong. You personally tried to decide and divide the word of truth with your own flesh and blood, with your own knowledge, with your own brain. And you can't do that. That doesn't work. The burden of our transgressions can be lifted through our repentance. But our repentance has to be that of the prodigal son who says... I I was better off in my father's house. I will leave this, turn around, and go back to my father's house to be a servant. To serve in my father's house would be better to, than to be the most powerful man in this wicked world. And so that's what I'm going to do. Now, how do we turn around to go and serve in our father's house? What does that look like? If we're going to go back and serve in our Father's house, I mean, are we going to go up to heaven and start doing work for for Jesus? No, we're right here. And what did he say? Feed my sheep. Love one another. That's how we begin that. Now, the the change in our own heart to really serve God is that repentance. And it manifests itself by our love for one another. It is including our love for God. 
So there you have all the commandments in those two basic ideas. If you really realize my father had my best interest, I love my father, I was wrong in ab abandoning and disobeying and hiding from my father, I'm going to turn around. Immediately you must also come back to serve others. Even those that don't love God, you may serve them, but you may serve them with rebuke. You may serve them with uh, some kindness to shame them into repentance too. But you can only, your only power is really service to others. This is why Christ came to serve. He, that should be a part of our nature if we really are repenting. Because we will, if we don't have that, we are not prodigal sons. We are not turned around to come back. Christ says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Does that mean you have to jump on the first grenade that they throw in your foxhole? There's a lot of ways to lay down your life a little at a time. Every day, do something for somebody else. The farther away that person is from you, the less likely you will receive reward or appreciation, the better. I'm not trying to make a formula here. I'm, I'm trying to show you a precept. You don't do it for the praise. You don't do it for boasting. You do it because you're laying down your life for others. And you may do it for people you never see. You may do it for people you never know or can never pay you back. And all the better. Because that's the way it works in the kingdom of God. That's the way it should work for us all the time. So, what we, we've started, and I started a web page just this, well, actually I started a few weeks ago, but we kind of improved on it this week. And it's called HealthShare, and you can find it at preparingyou.com. If you follow the links uh, concerning health and nurturing, you'll eventually find a page called HealthShare. And if you're on the Living Network, it's already gone out to you, and you've already seen it if you've uh, followed on the link that was sent to you. If you're not on the Living Network, go to hisholychurch.org and join the Living Network and start becoming a part of our health share because we've already begun the process of coming together to serve one another. Everybody hasn't quite got the hang of it yet, but we're working on it. It's a journey. You know, and people are, you know, still getting their kingdom legs back on because they've, they know how to walk in the world and according to the flesh and according to selfishness and all that. We've been taught that all along. But now how to walk in the kingdom, that's another walk that we have to learn to do. And so we have this webpage called HealthShare. And we begin talking about, uh, what, uh, mutual assurance or health shares are. And uh, there's a company, or actually, I guess it's a, like a 501c3 ministry. It's called Good Samaritan Ministries. And we use that as an example. There's, a, there's several of these health share programs out there. And it's a medical share program with a uh, difference from uh, what the early church was doing. Uh, Good Samaritan Medical Share uh, Health Care uh, takes an annual membership, I think it's somewhere around $150, and that fee goes to them for administration purposes. And I don't know what they have now, 20,000, 30,000 people who are members of this medical share system. 
And uh, there's a number of aspects of how they operate, but they have a certain exemption, and we'll talk about how that is from this new health care, which we've heard about in the news that's coming out, and uh, why something like this is of interest to us, but what we're going to do instead of it, why we're going to do something different because of the way in which Christ preached the gospel and Paul preached the gospel. And we'll talk about that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about healing and health, and we were talking about the Good Samaritan uh, medical share. I know some people that are actually using it. We're not promoting using it. We're promoting something that is based on the gospel. And even though there's elements of the gospel in Good Samaritan ministries, it is not really what the early church was doing. And we want to do what Christ was saying to do diligently. So we're going to look at what they're doing and then come up with how that would relate to what the early church was doing. Good Samaritan Medical Insurance, or it's not really an insurance, it's a medical share. And the difference between insurance and a medical share is that in an insurance company, they're obligating the funds that they collect to be used for the purposes of paying certain premiums out to people who have needs based on guidelines which are established in their insurance program. And they're highly regulated, although they've had a lot of uh, people working in Congress to allow them to make huge amounts of money. And they write in, I was just in somebody's house the other day and or at their store and we were joking with them and uh, he said something about insurance, and I said, uh, except if it was a terrorist act, uh, you're insured in, unless you can count what we did as terrorism. <laughs> and he, he laughed, and he said, yeah, that's in every single clause of every, you know, every single insurance policy now, that nobody's insured for, uh, for terrorist acts. I even know somebody who has property way out in the desert that they have to get uh, insurance on, liability insurance on. Nobody ever goes out there. It's way out in the desert. But uh, because they lease it, they have to get liability insurance on it. And he said that, yeah, in the closet says, except for terrorist acts. And he looks around like there's any terrorists out here. <laughs> but I guess there's always a danger of some terrorist coming out and and uh, crashing a plane into his field out in the middle of the desert or something. But uh, anyway, uh, insurance is this highly regulated guarantee. It's an entitlement. You're entitled to the funds that are put into this insurance company. Of course, what the insurance company is really doing is taking all the money you pay in, investing it in other things that makes them lots and lots of money. And uh, they don't just have your money sitting in a little box somewhere. Because money is deflating in value all the time. And insurance companies are some of the richest and most powerful companies on the face of the earth. Uh, I work for a St. Paul insurance company, which is an underwriter for all these others. Uh, I can't remember them all, but there's, you know, like State Farm and and all these different insurance companies. They have an insurance company that indemnifies them. 
And they have to do that because of the funds that they have are all out making money for them. So everybody's making lots and lots of money off of your money that you're paying into the insurance company because you have been listening to a gospel of fear and you're afraid that if I don't have insurance, somebody might sue me or I might get sick or I might die or all those things may happen anyway. But you go and get insurance to give you a hedge for that. Medical share is not quite the same thing, although some of the same spirit is found in the program. You pay a fee for administration purposes because they got to do a lot of book work and all that stuff. And if you get 20,000 people paying $150 a year, they got a lot of money to work with. And they make money on it. they got a software and everything that they have, have to pay for and, and some secretary to type things in and people to make phone calls. They actually... I know they actually call up your pastor to see if you regularly attend church because that's one of the requirements. But they don't really care which church it is. It has to be, I guess it has to be a Christian church. I don't know all the details, but, so that's basic, the beginning. But then you have to pay an insurance payment or premium every month. But you don't pay it to the company. You actually pay it to individual people that are picked at random through this computer system. This person has you know, bills because they had a cancer, or this person has bills because they had uh, an injury, or whatever it was, or they just got a disease, and those medical bills fall under the categories listed in their policy, and they have a policy, and you send the check directly to those people, and those people cash it and pay the bill. And so there's some kind of oversight in there, but it's all based on policies and regulations and how they've laid this out. And you have some, as a voting member, you have some right to raise premiums if there's not enough money going around to pay everybody. And usually there is. They're pretty successful. The medical bills are going up. And so premiums have gone up a little bit. But the people actually vote on it, 60% or 67%. Vote yes, raise them, they get raised. If they don't, they don't get raised and all your medical bills may not be paid. And they have a way of figuring all this out. They have some sort of an exemption and on our webpage we link to their page that talks about this from the new Obamacare and because they're actually taking care of one another. It is literally private insurance, so to speak. It's But it's not insurance, so it it doesn't really fall exactly under insurance because there is no big fund except what's in your pockets. And that's one of the things that they does correlate to what Moses was doing and the early church was doing. When they took all their money and they their gold and they put it into the golden statue of the calf out there in the desert, they were creating a central treasury, a common fund a reserve fund, as it was called in the Greek city-states. And they didn't have that money in their pocket. It was all in this one-purse common fund, golden calf. And they used something else amongst themselves to trade with. But they had to stay and defend the golden calf if they were attacked because all their wealth was in there. That's not the way Moses wanted it because that's not the way God wanted it and certainly not the way Christ wanted it. He wants the money in your pocket, not in a central treasury, and Christ talks about that, about treasuries where thieves and robbers can break in, or moths can eat it away and rust it away, and of course that's what happens when you have a big central treasury, all the crooks and thieves and charlatans and 
uh, defrauders start getting in there and saying, oh, we will take care of your money for you. And next thing you know, the money isn't there anymore. And that's exactly what's happened in most countries and why almost every country is bankrupt. And, and I was going to say, especially the socialist countries, but really all countries are going the way of socialism. So that's why all countries are bankrupt. But they have these central treasuries, and they shouldn't have that. The treasury of the kingdom of God is in the pockets of every man, woman in that kingdom. Each family holds their own wealth. We return every man to his possessions. But it's still, we need ways to help one another. If religion is visiting, and it doesn't mean just saying, coming by and saying, how, how are you? Visiting the widows and orphans, the needy of your society... It means actually taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves, helping them out, strengthening the poor. And so there has to be a way of doing this. Now, this Good Samaritan uh, health share is dealing with health issues only. Another thing that is contrary to the way of Christ, because they weren't just dealing with health issues. They were dealing with every issue. And uh, they they attend to that a little bit because they want to make sure you're going to some pastor. But there's not much oversight in there. This is clearly a very single-minded way of taking care of one of the needs of society. And they do have an exemption like similar to the Amish because the Amish are taking care of themselves. They're not subject to the new health care programs. It may not always be that way, but the thing is, is they're... They're moving more in the direction of the kingdom. And we're going to show you how far that really goes. And uh, and it goes to every aspect of the needs of your society. Health, education, and welfare. In real hard times, systems like Good Samaritan Medical Share will start to drop by cause back because people will not vote for the increases. Medical bills will go up. Uh, People won't be able to afford the premium. As soon as you can't afford the premium, you're out. They're not going to cover you anymore. If you're not paying in that premium, you don't get covered. You have to pay in that premium. And that premium is based on what policy you get. You get the big policy, you pay pay a pretty high premium. You get some of the lesser policies that cover less things. You pay a smaller premium. But it is the policy that determines how much you pay. Christ was very clear that the widow who gave a mite and the rich man who gave half of everything he had, which one gave more? In God's kingdom, in Christ's way, the woman gave more. She should be completely covered because she gave a penny, a mite. But the rich man who gave half, he should not be covered any better than her. And that's the way it works in the kingdom. But we don't want to create a socialist state where, you know, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. We have to have the discretion somewhere of morality, the discretion of Christ, as to how their prayers are answered. We have to have that human element of divine compassion, of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And how do you do that? How do you create that? Well, that's exactly what Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ, and John the Baptist, and all of them were doing. And most people don't realize that. And we're going to get a little bit of the history of where Christianity got into trouble with the world. And uh, it's under uh, the category of uh, life and death. Uh, The conflict between Christians and the people who persecuted them in the early days of the church was mostly 
over the system of social welfare, which was managed through the temples like the Temple at Ephesus, uh, the Temple of Saturn, the Temple uh, that they call the Parthenon. There were other temple names and there, there were other buildings that were often right next to the temples that handled some of this stuff. But these temples had a financial and social welfare aspect to the society. Uh, temple of Janus often was involved in financing of wars, but originally these temples were based on free will offerings. And as they became more and more important to the people, the government started supporting it with the money that they got from foreign wars and from taxes and, and excises and tariffs that they charged. And eventually, to the taxes they actually charged on people for their labor. That if you worked, you had to give a portion of your labor, and this was called a corvi. And that had to go to the government, and then the government would finance these temples. And these temples became public institutions because they were financed out of the ability of governments to tax the people. Now, we won't get it all into how the government gets the ability to tax the people. I mean, your labor was your labor. And even in Egypt, the pharaoh didn't have the power to tax the labor of the people, much less those people of Israel, until they had to depend upon his benefaction. You know, he had grain. They didn't. They said, if you give us grain, we can't buy anymore. We're out of money. We're out of trade goods. We're completely broke. What can... Uh, we get, uh, how can we get this grain? Well, you sell yourselves. You, you say one-fifth of everything I do, all the work I do, will be for the government a Pharaoh. And you will give us this grain and you'll make sure that we have this social welfare from then on. So 20% income tax for the Israelites and everybody else in Egypt didn't exist before that, but now it existed and now they were under this Corvi system of statutory labor. That is everywhere in the world today, except they don't have the one-fifth ceiling limit. You know, they can charge you a 50% or whatever. And all countries have gone and become a socialist state. If we go back in history and look at what the conflict was like at the time of Marcus Aurelius, and we've already pointed out that like the Temple of Saturn was where you registered your birth certificates that you were required to get in Rome. It wasn't mandatory for everybody until Marcus Aurelius, which was about 168 A.D., but they had birth certificates back in the time of Augustus. And the reason why is we had to know how old you are as to when you were entitled to benefits. And we put them in the temples because the benefits came from the temple. And it was getting less and less free will offerings and more and more they were supported by public uh, taxation and uh, spoils of war, etc., etc. There was a guy named uh, Celsus. Uh, of He was a Platonist, uh, someone who believed in Plato. And he was a philosophical writer of the time. And he wrote... Uh, there's a couple of different titles to the book that he wrote it had to do with rightly dividing the truth or rightly dividing the word. And uh, it was very anti-Christian. And uh, he, one of the things he wrote was he opposed the sectarian tendencies at work in the Christian movement because he saw Christianity uh, privatizing of religion. He transferred... Uh, uh, the transfer of religious values from the public sphere to the private association. Well, 
what he doesn't really realize is that originally religion was in the private sphere and it has steadily moved over to the public sphere. And this is where they were at this time, 160, 170 A.D. And that had been going on, but Christ was moving it back into the private sphere. Because that's where Moses originally put it. That's where Abraham had it. That religion, the taking care of religion is defined, pure religion is defined by James. It's how you take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. And it's pure because it's unspotted by the world. And the word world there is constitutional order or system of government. So anyway, we, we have references to that in the article. And you can go to read the other articles that explain all that. But this was the conflict between the Christians... And those who persecuted them. Uh, one of them who persecuted him was uh, Septimus Servus, who was the emperor of Rome. Uh, this was a very trying time of Rome. They, they were going through emperors uh, like Kleenex. And uh, this guy uh, came to power. And uh, he was very antagonistic against the Christians. And the reason why, there are two ways in which these governments hold power over the people. One is by their armies, which includes their police and their uh, Praetorian guards and their secret services and their um, whatever. You know, I mean, I, I'm thinking of all the different agencies in the United States, but every country has them that keep the people in line. And it's always easier to keep an unarmed people in line. But there's another way they keep you in line, and that is social welfare. Your dependence on social welfare, social insurance, social education, all socialism, that they will provide you this benefit, this benefit, and, and all these benefits if you stay good, subservient little servants. And if I need your sons for my army, I can take them anytime I want. If I need to put your daughters to work uh, to keep uh, my war machine going or, you know, my, my, government and power I can take your daughters out of the home we'll just put all your kids in daycare and orphanages you know uh, daytime orphanages that's what daycare is uh, because their parents aren't there this is these are just institutions and you, we create this brave new world and we do this because we offer you these benefits and you keep eating out of this tribal trough and now you owe the chief your allegiance because you ate out of the trough. And Rome had gone this way tremendously. I mean, there were Roman soldiers who became Christians and wouldn't take these new oaths of loyalty that were coming down. And so they just stripped them naked and drove them out onto the ice and snow and said, uh, okay, if you're not going to bow down to our authority, you can't have any of the things that we gave you. They didn't give them a chance to go and get New clothes and turn in their uniform. <laughs> they just uh, they just took their uniform away in the middle of winter, and let them freeze to death. Uh, but anyway, this uh, Septimus Servus he he wanted to persecute the Christians. He had already moved his armies around and defeated his enemies. It's about uh, 202 A.D. and uh, uh, he started creating general laws against what he called foreign religions and at least that's the translation foreign religion and what it is is religions outside of our faith outside of our system and it, he preaches against this uh, service returned victorious from having this vanquished his kings and this is what he was doing is making this law against foreign religions 
and his uh, edict uh, was part of what several other emperors had suggested, but a little bit more totalitarian. Uh, and it sufficiently warranted that many of the governors uh, to draw a sword against uh, the Christians. And they actually killed thousands of Christians in different places uh, throughout the empire because the Christians were taking care of their needs. And this was in apologist to men like uh, uh, Marcus Aurelius, etc., that the, they gathered together and those that had shared with those that had need and didn't have enough. And we had uh, Vigilius uh, Saturninus, uh, who was a proconsul of Africa, about 180 uh, AD, addressed this uh, seeming antisocial behavior of Christians. And he was dealing with 12 uh, Silitans, Christians who he ended up martyring along with a lot of others. and But he says to them, and I'm quoting here pretty much according to the translation, we too are religious and our religion is simple and we swear by the genus of our Lord Emperor and we apply for his benefits as you also ought to do. Well, of course, they didn't do that because Christ had already said, you are not to be like the princes of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, uh, but call themselves benefactors. Uh, But you are to be the benefactors who don't exercise authority. And as Paul says, but live by faith, hope, and charity by the perfect law of liberty, by this mutual sharing in time of need. Gather together and those that don't have enough, you help them with the discretion of a Christian heart to strengthen the poor, not to weaken them. And all the Christians were getting together trying to figure out, what can I do to help out each other? Not to make them lazy, not to make them slothful, because we know that he who does not work should not eat, but to help them out if there is any real true need. Now, this is a very efficient economic social welfare system if you gather together in small groups and yet connect those groups with intimate friendships and relationships throughout the whole country. This is what Abraham was doing with his altars of clay and altars of stone. This is what Moses was doing with his altars of clay and stone. And this is what Jesus Christ was doing with his living stones. As they were creating a living network of people who gathered together in small groups, ten families, pick a minister, That minister gets together with nine other ministers like himself and they pick a minister and they begin to connect through the whole country and through many countries a social welfare system based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of of liberty. They would give people the right to decide. Do I want to help these people out? Do I believe that they're deserving of it? Now, there's no welfare in this that is an entitlement. There is no guarantee. And people say, well, how do we know they're going to help us? You don't. That's why they call it faith. If you start living this way, you open up your heart to God living in you. If you will not live this way, your heart is closed. You can tell me you believe in Jesus. You can tell me that you are following in his ways. But what I see is not what he was doing. And what was the response to this, yeah, to the, this fellow who was about to kill the Christians? And, and that response 
comes back. You know, we, we worry about Romans, you know, Caesar saying they're gods. This is what they're talking about. That they were rulers of your system of socialism. The church is socialistic, but we don't bring a gun to the collection plate. We say those that have share with those that don't have according to the leading of your own personal conscience. We've set you free. We've allowed you to make those choices. And the bonds that hold your congregations, which are free assemblies together, is the bonds that come with love and honor to one another. But he says, I know not the genus of the emperor of this world, organized system, constitutional order, or government. But I serve the God of heaven, whom no mortal man hath ever seen or can see. I never committed any crime punishable by the laws of the state. I pay the public duties for whatever I buy. I... uh uh, I uh, by acknowledge the emperor for my temporal lord, but I adore none but the God of heaven. He t- tells more, but we'll have to talk about that in another program. This is the essence. And what we are creating is that system that the early Christians were doing. And if you want to know more, stay tuned to Keys of the Kingdom. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're talking about healing and health in the Kingdom of God. And in order to have the miraculous powers that Christ seemed to have, we need to have the faith of Christ. We need to come to serve others. We do not get it because of our works. We get it because of our repentance, because God can find a place in our hearts to dwell and live. Even when Christ healed people, He said, Your faith has saved you, because His faith found a home in you. And could come in and heal. His virtue could find a place in you. And if there is no place in you for his virtue, then do not expect his healing. While we were talking about uh, the 
what's been in the news a lot for the last year is the new health insurance in the United States. They already have similar systems in many countries throughout the world to greater or lesser degrees. And that these system of social welfare, which is not just health care, but all aspects of the welfare of life itself on this planet, health, education, welfare, are either provided by free will offerings or they're provided by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise force one over the other. Christ said it was to be by the free will offerings. Moses said it was to be by the free will offerings. Uh, Buddha even said it was to be by free will offerings as well as Abraham. Uh, You can't hardly find a major religion that doesn't talk about these free will offerings. But you can also today hardly find a governmental institution anywhere in the world that does not offer these same benefits by force, uh, by, uh, by funds that were collected by force, by taxation. Even taxation like excise and tariff taxes, which were allowed in the, the original United States uh, through the Constitution, was still force. It still was not a totally free government. But now they can charge you an excise tax on your labor. They charge you an excise tax on your land. They charge you an excise tax on almost every activity, uh, whether it be natural or not. And those excise taxes are, an excise tax, by the way, is a use tax. It's a tax on the use of something. And to tax you on the use of something like your labor, means, by definition, you do not own the use of your labor anymore. Now, something's happened in order to happen, to come about that either you were born in slavery or you entered into a slave relationship by some voluntary act in order for them to be able to tax you on your labor. And it's called a core V, a system of core V, statutory labor. It's what they had in Egypt. If you read about slavery and scholarly works about slavery, they say there was hardly any slavery in Egypt. Uh, well, how could that be? I thought they were all slaves. Well, they weren't. That's not what they call slavery. That's corvi. That's statutory bondage. That they owned a portion of your labor, and in Egypt it was only twenty percent, and you had to labor for the government, Pharaoh wasn't a federal government then. It was a pharaoh government. Same thing. Just PH. But anyway, uh, it's the same process. But they had statutory limits. It's still due to the, this day in Egypt. They, they don't charge more than 20% income tax. But that's... Uh, and, and when you raise the tax on the rich, it's a waste of time. They did that in England. They were going to raise the taxes on the rich to get more money out of the rich. And the rich just altered the way in which they do business so that they didn't have as much income and they paid less tax. They actually paid less tax. This is when they raised the taxes on the rich because the richest rich people made... I mean, they're not rich because they're stupid. They're rich because they're smart. So they just got lawyers and figured out a way of changing the way they made money, trusts... Uh, uh, created uh, foundations, you know, like uh, 
Bill Gates and stuff, so they don't pay the tax that everybody else pays. <laughs> so they ended up paying less tax when they raised the taxes on the rich than the rich were paying before they raised the taxes on the rich because it made them conscious of these other alternatives. So it's it's a total waste of time, but it, it, it seduces the poor into thinking, I want to be covetous of my neighbor's goods. I want to tax the rich. And as soon as you do that, you close the door to Christ in your heart. As soon as you start coveting your neighbor's goods, you've got, you're going down the road to hell and away from God. You're turning your back on God. And that's what we talked about in the last show is this turning your back on God is the sin. Once you do that, you'll do all kinds of stupid things. You'll create all kinds of rules and regulations. You'll start coveting your neighbor's goods. Before you know it, you'll be electing kings and emperors that will rule over you and will take from your neighbor to provide you with social security or welfare. And you'll just go farther and farther into despotism and tyranny. And and when you cry out to God, he says over and over again in the Bible, he will not hear you. So you the key is not all this outside stuff that you do. It's the inside change that you must make and admitting that through your sloth, through your greed, through your avarice, you've been brought back into bondage. The dog has returned to his vomit and the pig to his mire. Okay, when you realize that, now you can turn around, repent, and seek the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God provides all those benefits that you see the world providing, but they do it in a way that strengthens the poor, and they do it by free will offerings. They do it by faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. This is the distinction between Christians and pagans of those days. That they had a system where the ruling judges of their system of social welfare were men who exercised authority one over the other. And Christ had a system where the overseers of that system, Peter and the ministers that they picked, etc., etc., did not exercise authority one over the other, but established everything by two or more witnesses. It was by recognition that they created the network that provided the social welfare of Christians. And that social welfare amongst these free assemblies recognized that God was God. And there was no other gods. No one ruled over anyone else. So what does their policy look like? We talked before about the Good Samaritan has a policy. Insurance companies have a policy. So even these health share programs have a policy. Everybody pays in equally for the policy they get. Whether you're rich or poor doesn't make any difference. And everybody gets back according to the regulations that are written down in those policies. Those policies are hewing the stones of your altar. Oh, sorry, that's not covered. Sorry, that's not covered. Sorry, you didn't pay the full premium. You're not covered anymore. And so, widows and orphans who have a penny left, too bad for them. They're not covered. We just let them go. And also in these systems, because they randomly pick who you pay in these medical share programs. For those of you who didn't hear the last program, those who uh, pay into a medical share program 
you don't pay into a common fund. This gets the government off their back tremendously because they don't have this common purse of funds that insurance companies have. So they're not heavily managed by the gods of that system. They are overseen to some degree. But what they do is you pay directly to the person in need, and that person in need is randomly picked through the computer that you need to send it, your premium check to this person and this person and this person, and then that will pay their bill. And that's how, and they, it works. It actually works. It's paying a lot of medical bills, but it's only a health share program, and it won't work in really hard times. And it, because of that randomness, it doesn't create bonds that are necessary for a Christian community. Because you have to remember, Christianity, the church, is defined as one form of government. It's a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, operating through the perfect law of liberty, by faith, hope, and charity, by love for one another, because that's the doctrine of Christ. So the only way that would work, and the only way that the early church organized itself, and the only way that early Israel organized itself, and the only way that Abraham's altars were really set up, and the only way the Teutons did it, and the uh, Phrygians did it, and all kinds of other people did it when they were doing it, was ten families. Even the Romans did this uh, in the early days of Rome. Ten, twelve families at the most would gather together, in a group, a free assembly, not an unincorporated association, a free assembly. We call them congregations. And they are a Congress that does not exercise authority one over the other, like the other Congresses of the world. But they help each other out in faith, hope, and charity. They pick a minister, and they don't pick him because he is a ruler. They pick him because he is a good servant. Uh, and virtuous and righteous in his own family. needs to be well organized in his own family. He can't be, you know, I mean, in this day and age, it's hardly find a man who hasn't got a broken family. He's been married to the same woman for, you know, like me, forever. But uh, it's hard to find men like that. Okay, their past, they were not true to their wives or their wives were not true to them. Or, or their live-ins, or whatever it was. Now, we're, we got to start from where we're at now. Are you true to your family? Are you caring for your family? If you are, maybe you're a good minister. If you're not, maybe you're not. And so, we're, we're going to start, you know, we have to believe in repentance. But we need to see the fruits of that repentance. Okay, you pick that minister. That minister's got to get along with other ministers. He's got to work well with other people. You know, we don't have, you know, it's in the job description. Works well with people. He's not an isolated recluse that just wants to get his own little crony group together and whatever. He works well with people. He doesn't necessarily always like everybody, but... And he isn't always liked by everybody, but he can work well with you. He may be, you know, not good on the dance floor. He may step on people's toes from time to time. But he has a good heart and a good moral character, and he is trying to work out his salvation with fear and trembling. That's where you start. You pick that guy. And he gets together with nine other ministers like himself, and they pick a minister. You, as an elder of that congregation, 
Every head of every household is an elder of the congregation. Have a great deal of responsibility to pick the minister of your choice. To pick the man that you think is the most righteous in this. Everybody can work on this ministry. Everybody can help network. Everybody can help get to know each other. But this guy is your connection point with all the other ministries. You need to have confidence in his morality and his character. And and looking at his own family is part of that. You know, we have to be forgiving and tolerant. And sometimes we don't always have enough to choose from, but we have to do that. But now this is your health insurance. You have to pay into this health insurance. You And he has to keep books so you know where the blood is going. How is it going? I mean, you don't have to know what everybody gives and all this stuff. But you need to know what he's doing with that blood. Because you have a responsibility as to who you tithe to. And tithing is... The reason they call it tithing was ten families. It's whatever share they gave, that was their tithe. If all things are perfect, it's 10% of what they produce goes to him to share amongst others. Seldom are all things perfect. Sometimes you need to give more. Sometimes you get away with giving less. So your premium is based on what you produce and what you are willing to give to the minister of your choice. And Now, in the world, you don't have a choice how much you have to give. It's already dictated to you by the regulations and policies of the system that you're a part of. But in the church, you have to make that choice. Therefore, every elder must be responsible in that choice. They must learn how to give and lay down their life. One dollar at a time. One sheep at a time. Whatever it is. A shepherd who works with his sheep and goes out on the desert in the cold and the wind and 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 takes care of them... Every sheep represents a part of his life. He has spent his life to care for this flock. And if he gives up that sheep on an altar of sacrifice to feed the widows and orphans of his society, he is giving up his life in doing so. And it's the same way in in the world today. If you want to be a part of a real church, you have your church should be taking care of all the social welfare and not be dependent upon the genus of leaders and benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. Like Septimus Service, who knew that he could only control the people two ways. One is by his army and the other is by his social welfare system. And so therefore he outlawed any other social welfare system foreign to their own. You had to pay in to their temples your social security payments so that they could provide social security for the people. They weren't going to tolerate. They had been tolerating off and on. You know, Augustus did. Uh, other Caesar Trajans did. Hadrian did. They tolerated them. These foreign religions. These religions not connected to their public temples, but private, you know, like the Amish. They 
they're exempt from health care because they take care of themselves already. The Good Samaritan Ministries people, I think they have some sort of an exemption. So they're taken care of already. But the, the world is moving to the point where you're going to have to pay into their system whether you like it or not. And you're not going to get an exemption. And to some degree that already exists because it's a public system. But that system will fail. That's the unrighteous man. And that's the central treasury. That's the golden calf system where all your wealth is put in the central fund where thieves and robbers will steal it and use it up and squander it. And that's exactly what's already happening. And they want to make it bigger and make it happen even more. And you're, you're in debt. Your children are in debt. And your grandchildren are in debt forever. In every single social welfare country across the globe, they're in debt. In debt, in debt, in debt, in debt forever. And highly dependent upon a system that is crumbling all around us every day. So for that reason alone, you should create the system that we call the kingdom of God, the church, established by Christ, that operates by faith, hope, and charity. That is the Corbin of Christ. You know, the Corbin of the Pharisees was a system where you got baptized by Herod's ministers, who he sent them all over the world, even before John the Baptist. You got baptized by his ministers, and then you were in this system, and the scribes wrote down your name, and you are now a member of that system, and you paid into that system, and they took care of your social welfare through the temple. But that system of Corbin sacrifice made the word of God to none effect. It was identical in many ways in principle to a system of Corbin set up by Augustus. And the emperors even before him, but uh, not the emperors, but um, the proconsuls before him and now. And, and Augustus and others, where, and Tiberius was extending this. But Christ come along and said, no, you have to live by faith, hope, and charity. John the Baptist came along and said, no, if you have two coats, you share. It's by sharing your life, what you have with others, that you open the door to Christ in your heart and the miracles of Christ, which you will need. In order to do that, you have to forgive others. You have to forgive what you think they owe you. And start providing for one another. And you can start that little step at a time. But first you have to gather together. To start to exercise this. And when you gather together. Some will come who do not have this spirit. And do not want to really repent. They want to put on the garments. Of Christianity. They want to look like ministers. They want to look like the righteous. They, they, and, and they weave these garments of performance. And external performance. And, you know, we have to do this on this, and we have to do that on this, and and this way. And no, love is simple. It's not complicated. Being kind to one another is simple. It's not complicated. Although, sometimes now, we're talking tough kindness, tough love, sometimes. You don't give to everybody. Be careful how you give. You have, God is giving you whatever you have, the wealth that you have. What little legal title that you have to wealth. He's given that to you to be responsible with it. You have to do something with it. But don't squander it either. Don't squander it on uh, false ministers. I mean, look at how many ministers out there who people have been giving millions and millions and millions of dollars to. And those people provide no social welfare for their churches or almost none just token amounts 
or they they like to go down to poor countries you know and get pictures of them t- taken with you know poor little kids in orphanages down there but back home everybody's going to the emperor and praying to the fathers of the country you go read our article on call the man father and and r- praying to those benefactors to exercise authority for every one of their benefits but they give token charity down in South America or Africa now I'm not against giving that charity down to South America and Africa but what you really want to do is strengthen the poor and right today the United States and Australia and Great Britain and Canada are some of the biggest mission fields in the world because they've all gone the way of the genus of the emperor. They all pray at the altars of the benefactors who exercise authority for their benefits. They don't take care of one another. And that's why when this uh, Vegelius, the proconsul of Africa in 180 AD, and addressed uh, seemingly these anti-social uh, Christians... There's 12 of them all together uh, that he was talking to. Uh, one was uh, the Sparatus. Uh, and he was saying to them, We too are religious. Religion, again, is how you take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. It's thrakia. It's, it's what you do to take care of the needy. That's, what, that's what that, how that word is used at that time in the Greek. It's not... What you believe, you know, that, you know, there's three people in God or there's, uh, you know, God, you know, is the God of Abraham and all that stuff that that's not religion. That's that's your view of the structure of theology. Religion was actually what you did to take care of the needy of your society. Threskia. So he says, we have our religion and our religion is simple. We swear by the genus, we sign up for our Father, our Lord, and Emperor, and we apply for His benefits, as you also ought to do. That's what he's saying. Why should you do it? Because of this Emperor Septimus outlawed any other religion other than the public religion, the public social welfare system of Rome. You had to be a member of that system. We see that going on in the world today. You have to pay in according to our policies. We have hewn our stones that you have to pay for abortions. You have to do this. You have to do that. And you you have to swear by our ministers because... This is your only religion. And one of the reasons they're doing this is all these churches out there claiming to be religions or churches are not taking care of the needy of their society except through insurance policies. This is what their big complaint. Now we are the insurance that we are buying to take care of our needy. Why would the Catholic Church need to buy insurance from an insurance company and pay premiums into an insurance company? Why are they not self-insured? through the ways of Christ. They have these huge churches and these congregations. What they're paying in, why aren't they taking care of the needs themselves? Why do they have to pay an insurance company? Insurance companies don't invent money out of thin air. 
they are only distributing what they receive and making a lot of money up besides. So there's no reason a big institution like the Catholic Church or any of these others, I mean, I can name all kinds. I don't want to pick on the poor Catholics. But uh, they're just as deluded as all the daughters of that church are, which are all the Protestant churches, because none of them are taking care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. They're not doing it. But the early church was doing it. And that's why they were being persecuted. That's why they were, because they were outside of the pub. They were doing what now everybody depends upon the public government to do. Take care of our needs, our social welfare, our education. You've been a socialist nation for a hundred years. You've been going down the road towards destruction for a hundred years. And away from the precepts of Christ. You've turned your back on God a long time. Oh, you went to church. You sang your songs. But God wasn't hearing them. Now, I know that there's a lot of people out there. And some of you may really have sincerity in your hearts. But you've been led away by men who have crept in with damnable heresies. That say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. You want to change that, repent, and start coming together in real congregations, free assemblies, with real families, getting to know them, picking men amongst yourselves. And I don't care if you change your minister every week until you find one you trust. You have to gather together and find those souls and start taking care of one another. And I tell you, as you start to do this and become successful at it, you will get two kinds of people that notice you. Other people that have this written in their hearts and their minds. And then, of course, the Vegelius uh, people who will hate you. <laughs> but better to be hated for your love of Christ and because you are diligent doers of the Word than not be heard by God at all because you have abandoned His ways. You have to repent and turn around and go these other ways. Now, what was the full response? I tried to read that in the last show, uh, and we got interrupted. And I don't know. We'll probably get interrupted again in this show, so I won't start that. But anyway, we're going to talk about this life share and how to do this when we get back. And uh, some of the basic footnotes that I've put together or columnized notes I've done. You have to realize that, if, just to touch on it real briefly again, this idea of a policy that you pay into that guarantees these benefits, if you pay this amount, is so anti-Christian, it's unbelievable. Now, I'm not against insurance. If that's what you have, fine. But if you don't also have the kingdom of God working foremost in your life, then, you know, that's a problem. And when you have the kingdom of God working foremost in your life, you'll say, geez, I can save a lot of money by not paying into the insurance company because in the kingdom of God, we actually assure you against terrorists too. <laughs> we we won't say, oh, sorry, not covered. Oh, sorry, we don't cover that. It's based on faith, hope, and charity. And, it, and if you miss a premium payment because you're absolutely broke and destitute, we don't say, oh, sorry, you're not covered anymore. You missed a premium payment. We don't have to pay you a thing. So we will, because we're not bound by the policies, we're bound by love. 
for one another. You have to create that love over a period of time. You don't just sign up with a group and say, okay, all these guys have to love me, have to take care of me no matter what. That's what I want. I want guarantees. Well, then you don't want to live by faith. You have to want to live by faith. You want to give people the opportunity to make a choice. That's why you're in bondage today. Because you didn't extend choice to others. You said, let's all have one purse. Let's lurk privately for the blood of the innocent so that we can be socially secure. And you are trapped in the very net. This is Proverbs. Proverbs, is it one ten? If I remember the number right, read it. I mean, it's scary. It's telling you what you've done. I'm I'm going to be telling you in the next half of the show what you could do to change your direction from hell to the kingdom of God. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about what the distinction between the religion of Christians and the religion of the world was back in the time of Christ, the time of Herod, the time of Saturninus, Saturninus actually is uh, Vigilius, who was this proconsul in Africa following the orders of uh, Septimus, who was the emperor at that time, uh, Septimus uh, Severus. Severus was, uh, you know, he was a pretty strong and powerful man. Uh, he was. Uh, a general of the army and uh, had to go back and forth across the empire in order to establish his rule and he was always engaging in foreign wars and this was expensive and he knew that one of the problems was this these foreign religions because he knew that the givers of gifts gratuities and benefits were the greatest destroyers of freedom and the but he thought of it as this is being a this gift giver, this benefactor, was essential in demanding the loyalty of the people. He couldn't keep his army in all these different places. He actually even made a deal with Britain, giving them tremendous power so that he didn't have to worry about them invading him or causing trouble. And then he focused on uh, other guys who were raising up their influence in these other places in order to be this you know uh, nine rings rules them all to be the one ring that rules all these which is what the emperor is trying to do he had to keep everybody in line and one of the ways to do this was through the social welfare program set up through the temples temples like Saturn which is why uh, Vegelius who has the name second name of Saturninus who was probably attached somehow to the Temple of Saturn. And the Temple of Saturn is where you registered the births of your children so that they would be eligible for benefits from these temples and from the public system of religion that had been set up by the emperors before. Well, Christ had set up a private system of religion. In other words, through faith, hope, and charity, you took care of the needy amongst your you. And in Justin the Martyr's 
apology, he talks about them gathering once a week and those that had shared with those that didn't have. They actually gathered on Sunday, not because that was a day of rest. They had already had their day of rest. Most Christians use Sabbath for their day of rest, and that was the purpose of the Sabbath, was as a day of rest. Sunday was the first work day of the week. And so they would gather there to do government business. Government business was at least the religion of Christ, which was the Corbin of Christ, which took care of the needy through faith, open charity. And if you were a widow and couldn't pay in your insurance premium, that's okay. Because they were going to take care of you. And that was pure religion. Because they did it themselves entirely. Unspotted by the public religions of the world. They didn't use the public religions of the world. They used only the private religion of Christ. Because Christ had returned every man to his family and every man to his possessions. This was a recognized foreign religion allowed by Augustus in all the nations. This is why they they come to Ephesus and say these are the ones who do contrary to the decrees of Caesars because they have another king, Jesus. And they say there is another King Jesus. And this this other King Jesus said to love one another, not force one another to contribute to your welfare. Now, modern Christians think it's okay to force one another to contribute to their welfare. And they think that has nothing to do with their salvation. But it has everything to do with the fact that they have not repented. They're still following after the Corbin of Herod. And the social welfare schemes of Herod. And they still build their golden temples. And they have their token charity in their churches to make them feel righteous. And if that doesn't do enough, then they they sing real beautiful songs and they dress up and and they have their special days. And you know everybody who doesn't keep the Sabbath over here on Saturday, oh they're wicked, but we're good because we keep the Sabbath over here on Saturday, or we have the other calendars and we do that, and so. That makes us good. What makes you good is that you're seeking righteousness. And righteousness has to do with your relationship with everybody in the world and around you and your family. Are you righteous there? Because if you're not righteous there, all these other things are smoke and mirrors. They make you a whited sepulcher. Those things may follow righteousness. But they don't produce righteousness. As a matter of fact, it is very dangerous to dabble in those because you may actually lead people away from what we need to focus on. And that is that love of caring for one another. And so, we've already started congregations of record that are based upon two or more witnesses saying, this is our minister. If you can get two people, excuse me, two, if you can get two separate families, to agree that we're going to accept this man as our minister, then that's where you start. That that man is the minister. Now, he goes out and connects with other ministers like himself. How much do you give him? Well, what what's the needs? You go to church and you pray together with your minister. You say, okay, we don't have any needs. We're doing okay. Uh, the, the other people that have picked this minister... 
five people, six families, whatever, ten families should be at least ten. We like that, but you don't need ten to start. You have no needs amongst you. That means, oh, well, we don't have to give anything. We can all go home. No, maybe you should give to, you know, he's supposed to be in contact with other ministers all across the country. You know, through this network. Is there any needs anywhere else amongst the brethren? And then he can communicate that. Okay, you say, well, there's still no needs. Because everybody is so independent and self-reliant that they don't need any needs. So that means you shouldn't give. Well, you should give something just to keep the blood flowing. You don't want to stagnate. You don't want to become constipated spiritually. You say, you want to keep the blood flowing. So you say, what can we do to find the lost sheep? Now, there's a job that's never ending. (laughs) Because most people have not heard this message. They haven't heard this idea that the conflict between Christianity and the world, the constitutional orders and systems of government, those of you who don't understand, is there are five different Greek words in the in the Greek language that are translated into the single English word world. One of them means constitutional order or system of government. And that's what they were talking about a lot of the times. And it says, my kingdom's not of this world. He was saying that to Pontius Pilate, who was trying to sit in the judgment seat. My kingdom's not of this constitutional order or system of government. God even so loved the world, that same system, the people that were in it, that he gave his son that they might be saved, that even them might be saved, that the Gentiles might be saved. How did they get saved? Repent. Turn around. Start following the ways of God, which are not the ways of Caesar. That are not the way... That government is every right to exist. It's there for the wicked who created it. Who turned their back on God, rejected God like they did when they elected Saul. And that government is allowed to exist because it will punish the wicked. And it should be there. We have no interest in getting rid of that government. As long as there are wicked in the world, we need that government to take care of the wicked. But when will we be the government of God? Is that what we're seeking, striving for? Or are we just trying to get out of the government that's there for the wicked who weren't doing the job that Christ said we were supposed to be doing? I see all kinds of people want to get out of that system, but they don't want to create the system of Christ. Or they want to create a little group around themselves, but they don't want to create the system of Christ. Which was people helping people thousands of miles away if that's where the help was needed. And could do that through a flowing network of charity that was directly personal and on the ground where you actually knew who you were giving to. And then when you gave to your minister, he knew who he was giving to and he was checking to make sure that that minister knew who he was giving to. We have a minister travel all the way from Wisconsin. He's down in Florida right now. If you're down in Florida, you ought to try to meet with him. Or anywhere on the way back. And get to know these guys. Can you trust them? Do you do that with United Way? Do you know anybody who's working in the United Way? <laughs> do you know anybody? Do you Do you trust all the people that you're giving to in the public charity? You know, through the... 
to the the fathers of your nation, the, the senators and congressmen of your nation? Do you really know them or do you just know the talking heads you see on TV? Do you have a chain of charity operating to take care of the needy of your society? Or do you have not a clue who's dying in their apartment right now as we speak? And they'll know when the stink gets bad. The world does take care of its needy better than many of those people who say they're seeking the kingdom. We don't have a ghost of a chance until we're doing it better than them. At least amongst ourselves. And this is what John the Baptist was preaching. This is where we're at today. As I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Gather together in free assemblies and start sharing your coat when you have two and he has none. Sharing your food when you have some and he has none. But do it with others who are striving diligently to be the sons of God the children of God, the faithful, the believers, the people Paul was writing to, the people who had already turned around and were doing this in Ephesus, in Colossae, in Rome. There were people doing this. They were taking care of one another. And here you see in 180 when uh, Vigilius is, is complaining that we too are religious and our religion is simple. We swear by the genus, by the father of our Lord Emperor, who we applied for his benefits. That's right. That's what most Christians do today. They swear by their father in Washington, D.C. Or, or Sydney or wherever you're at. Or London. I guess in London, that's your mother. <laughs> the queen. Uh for her benefits, her social security benefits, her welfare, her public education, all of that we swear by them and our allegiances to them and we apply for their benefits. And he says, as also you ought to do. But what was his response? What was his response? We never have read that all the way through from beginning to end, but it's good to repeat it. This is a conflict between public and private charity. Do you live by private charity? Do you live by public charity? Because public charity is not charity. It's benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. And so his response is, I know not the genus of the emperor of this constitutional order or system of government, this world that you're that they're a part of. We're in. I'm not a part of that. I'm foreign to that. But I serve the God of heaven that's where I say my prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, not our Father who art in whatever capital city you happen to be in. Whom no mortal man hath ever seen or can see. I never committed any crime punishable by the laws of the state. He's saying right there. I pay the public duties for whatever I buy. Acknowledging the emperor for my temporal lord. But I adore none but my God, who is the King of kings and sovereign Lord over all this nation of the world. Again, I have been guilty of no crime and therefore cannot have incurred punishment. But of course they did. They burned a lot of those Christians because they would not join the welfare system of that 
But now, today, everybody has. We have all returned back to... And now we have a few voices out there saying, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm not saying get out of the system. I'm saying get into the system of Christ. And I tell you, the more you get into the system of Christ, the more you will be excluded from that system. And eventually there will be persecution. But we are so far away from the kingdom. People are waiting for destruction in the next year or two or so. And we will see things in the next few years that will seem very disastrous. But we have a long ways back. And unfortunately, most of our progress will be made during hard times. It's always the way it was. The famines of Egypt will come upon us again. Greater than ever than they were in Egypt. Greater than they were in Rome. And so that's why we created the Living Network at HisHolyChurch.org so that you could join up and find other congregations of record and become a part of them. Create congreg. It's very easy. It's not a complicated thing. Very simple process. It's it's based on law. We explain it all in the Free Church Report, which is free online. We give all this stuff away for free. But it doesn't do any good if you fold it up in a napkin and don't do anything with it. And everybody's so hesitant. Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I want to belong. Well, I don't want you to belong either. I just want you to gather together in free assemblies. You, you're not incorporating. You're just walking in His ways and deciding who you will walk with and deciding who will walk with you. Are you forgiving enough? Are you giving enough? Are you honest enough? Are you honorable enough? Do you set a good example in your own family, in your own life? Are you forgiving enough? I mean, why do you forgive others so that you will be forgiven by others and by God? When we understand that the altars of clay in the Bible were families, altars of Adama, and the altars of stone were living men, ministers. And those stones gathered together not by hand-hewn policies of insurance programs, but by fitting together according to the righteousness of God dwelling in their hearts. And as fit vessels of His Holy Spirit. They gathered together and fit themselves together in a network that could receive the offerings of the people and redistribute them to the people through faith, hope, and charity through a thing we called the Eucharist, Thanksgiving. This strengthens society. And for much of man's history, these were the only systems that strengthened societies that were free. Like I said, the Teutons. All these, all these cities, uh, group, I should say, not cities, but all these groups of people worked together and were free because of these systems. This is actually the most predominant form of government throughout man's history. But today, it's almost unheard of. It's starting up in some of the places where there are persecutions. It's automatically starting up as part of the underground. But you don't want to wait till then. You want to, want to, why not gather now? I mean, what's it going to cost you? There is no original premium or dues. You give according to what you think is right. Nobody sticks a basket in front of your face. Nobody points a gun to your head. You don't sign documents where you are now part of a corporate member. 
You recognize a minister so that we know that's the minister you recognize. And then if you wish to unrecognize him, you can unrecognize him and pick a different minister. Every day is election day. You elect to walk in the ways of Christ or you elect not to walk in the ways of Christ. It is up to you. Moses taught this system. Abraham taught this system. Christ taught this system. Paul wrote to the people who were walking in this way. An elder was the head of one of these altars of clay, one of these families, and gathered together with other elders, and they took care of the business of being the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, not merely for health care, but for all your social welfare. Why pick this way? Because it builds real relationships within a congregation and a network of congregations. You get to know each other. You get to know who you can trust. You get to know who is really watching your back and who's just watching out for themselves. And those that are just watching out for themselves, you get to rebuke them and say, you know, you seem selfish in this. So that he has a chance to repent. We're not here to tickle each other's ears. We're here to build each other up. The distribution of what is given is monitored. So that it's not squandered. It's monitored by the elders. It's monitored, not regulated by the elders. If they see that minister giving in a way they think he shouldn't give, they tell him. I don't think that was wise. And he tells why he thinks it was wise. And you discuss it out like man to man. You know, if if there are medical bills that come in, there's no reason why a network that size couldn't pay them all. But the reality is even better than that. There is no obligation of the network to pay that. So you can send a minister to the hospital and say, this bill seems too high. We don't want to pay this $10,000 bill. We don't have to pay it because we're a charitable institution. Certainly this person doesn't have the money you can you can build them for the next 20 years and you might get it or we can pay you this amount instead done all the time and that they they'll negotiate that bill i've talked to doctors who say that most of the bills that you get are way higher than they need to be they put them up that high so that they can get that money but it's actually could be negotiated way down you can do that through this system Yet the bills are paid and you, and they agree to it and they're happy to get it because we can get it to them right now. And you can pay back the church, but you don't have to. But if you don't, you're not going to be building those relationships because everybody's going to see that you're just living off of the backs of those that are working. And next time when you have a need, they may not come to your aid. So you want to build everybody in the church should be looking how they can best serve one another. Everybody in the church is looking how they will not they can make themselves so they're not a burden on the others in the church. They are sacrificing in the management of their altar of clay so that they do not become a burden to the rest. If they are spending more than they got coming in, they readjust their lifestyle to fit what they've got coming in. The church is there to back them up when they cannot make it, not to make their lives unnecessary, uh, uh, unrealistically comfortable. There's oversight between the ministers, too, not just the elders. Because they want to see that these ministers are doing well. 
Because that's their job. They're not regulating again. That minister has absolute choice over how he spends it. But they're watching it because they're bearing witness, true witness. They're saying, yes, I see him ministering righteously. Yes, I see the books. And we have a system to do that. But that minister is given choice just the same as we're giving choices and responses. If you want your rights back, you have to take back your responsibilities. So we don't take any of the responsibilities away from the elders. We don't take any of this responsibility away from the ministers. And we don't take any of the rights away from the elders or the ministers. But we allow them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. But we bring them together so that they can share life with one another. Because in that sharing, we open up our hearts for the Holy Spirit to enter in. And that is where you will see the miraculous cures. And the miraculous salvation because Christ will be with you. And when you walk, you walk not alone. And now there's a new set of footprints in the sand beside you. It is Christ walking with you because you are walking in His ways. Christ is not going to walk in with you if you're walking against Christ. This is the alternative. And alternatives will be sought in this both for health and for welfare and for education, etc. And we already have people doing it. Go to hisholychurch.org. Join the network. And may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.